0: Hi there. I'm Jason Shulman, and this is New Books in Australian and New Zealand Studies. This is a very special episode. We have two fantastic Australian poets on the program. My first guest is Lenny Shilton. She's an award-winning poet. Her new book is Walking with Camels: The Story of Bertha Strello. It's published by UWA Publishing in February 2018. Lenny, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Jason.
0: Well, it's great to have you on. So, Lenny, this is a verse novel. Uh, that tells us the story of Bertha Strello. So maybe you can start by telling us what is a verse novel and and why the story of Bertha Strello.
1: Okay. So a verse novel is a story in verse. So it is like any um, novel, I suppose. It follows a narrative, and you can read it chapter by chapter. But because it's in verse, you can also read individual poems, and they should be able to stand alone and have all the um, concise and poetic language that a poem has. In my verse novel, I also use conversation and dialogue. So you are entering into the the mind and the, the thoughts of the main character, who is Bertha Strello. Mine's written in the first person, so I have, in a way, tried to embody her her thoughts reimagine what was happening for her in central Australia in nineteen thirty six. And why Bertha Strollo. I was particularly interested in her because I found out about her at a place called the Strollo Centre which is a big um, museum I suppose in Central Australia primarily made for her husband. And I actually knew nothing about Bertha when I went up there and was reading information about her husband and his work. He was a linguist and an anthropologist. And as I was walking around I found there was this another story. There was some information about this woman, Bertestrello, his first wife. And there was not very much information about her, so I started researching her and trying to find out more about her.
0: One of the things that's really important uh, to the story is the sense of place. So I'm curious, where did you write the book?
1: I wrote the book in Alice Springs, and I also spent quite a lot of time out in the Peterman Ranges, which... For people who don't know Central Australia very well, you probably do know where Ayers Rock or Uluru is. And it's, um, that's four and a half hours south of Alice Springs. But Bertha and her husband travelled to a place called the Peterman Ranges, which is west of Uluru. And it was for his anthropological studies and work that they were travelling there on, by camel. Um, and that's where Bertha um, became quite ill and I I went there and I spent about a week camping in a creek bed, which Bertha and Ted probably also camped in. I don't know if I got the exact location. And I did a lot of writing there.
0: Bertha wrote a great deal about the camels that she traveled with uh, across the Australian desert and got to know with uh, increasing affection. And the book, of course, uh, is called Walking with Camels. Uh, how important was it to try to capture her personal experience uh, in writing in the first person?
1: It was it was crucial, really. But what was lovely was she wrote she wrote letters, um, primarily lots and lots of letters, and then she published three papers. So it was a lot of her letters that I read. She'd written a lot of letters to Ted and letters to her mother-in-law and letters to her father. And in those letters, she talks about the camels and her experiences. She was a city girl. Um, She'd never traveled very much at all. She grew up in Adelaide. And coming to Central Australia was a great adventure for her. So when she was encountering camels for the first time, she was actually terrified and she felt, though, that everyone was watching her. She thought, first saw camels in Hermansburg, which is an Aboriginal community west of Alice Springs. And she was there with Ted, and so she felt like she was on show, newly married young woman who'd come up from Adelaide. Everyone knew Ted well, but no one knew her, so she thought she should make a really good impression. So she just befriended the camel that she was faced with, even though it was enormously tall and very frightening and making terrible noises, she decided that she would just have to, um, um, swallow her fear and, and, um, and learn to, to love them, which she did.
0: Bertha was one of the few white women, um, in the 1930s living among Aboriginal people. What, what was it like for her?
1: It was very strange for her. She didn't speak the local language or the local languages. Ted did. Ted was fluent in Arunda. He learnt Arunda as his first language because he was born at Hermansburg. But she spoke English and a smattering, had a smattering of of Arunda. And then when she travelled down into um, the country south of Alice Springs and across past Uluru, for Ezra. she was in different country again. She was in Zidinjarra country and she didn't know that language at all and she was the only woman there. She was there with Ted and three Aboriginal camel handlers and the 11 camels. She was the only woman. And so she, she must have been... Um, Feeling that loneliness or the aloneness, but she was very upbeat about it in her writing. She was very um, positive and very engaged with the country around her and loving the country she was in, even though it was very strange to her. For her, it was really like coming to a completely different continent. And so she was, but she just seemed to be someone who could embrace the difference.
0: I know it's hard to choose, but do you have a favorite poem?
1: I I do. <laughs> I have I have a few favorite ones, but there is um one I can read you. Go ahead. Okay. This is actually the first one in the book. It's called At the Dance. I'd heard about him, the smart one born in the desert making the languages of Central Australia his own. He is shy, handsome and dances well. His accent is polished, but I hear the German reaching through his voice when I tell him an old flame has married. His heart is suppen, so red raw I want to cover it. I tell him she's a fool. I wouldn't let you slip through my fingers. He stops mid-step, the music rolling around us. He has seen me for the first time.
0: Beautiful. Um, Lenny, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. The book is Walking with Camels, the story of Bertha Strello. It's published by UWA Publishing this month in February 2018. The author is the award-winning poet Lenny Shilton.
1: Thank you so much, Jason.
0: Joining me now is the award-winning poet, Renee Pettit-Ship. She's here to talk about her new set of poems, The Sky Runs Right Through Us, Poems from the Edge of the Indian Ocean. It's published by UWA Publishing in February 2018. Renee, welcome to the
2: show. Thanks, Jason. Lovely to be here.
0: So from 2011 to 2014, you lived on Christmas Island and the Cocos Keeling Islands in the Indian Ocean. Why why, a, why poetry? Uh, why write about the experience in the form of poetry rather than a straight Uh, narrative of the experience?
2: That's a really interesting question and one that I've only really had to grapple with lately because I guess I I just did it instinctively. And I think the main reason was that I really struggled to come to terms with what I witnessed in Australia's detention system, system on Christmas Island and I think a lot of asylum seekers experienced an incredible amount of trauma there. In fact, an Australian a federally funded report found that 12 asylum seekers every single day were attempting suicide or self-harming. And so to be working with that every day and actually have a friend who ended up trying to kill himself by drinking, cleaning fluids, I just had no way to kind of process um, the experiences that I was having. So when we moved off, uh, so after a year we found it overwhelming and moved to the Cocos Keeling Islands which um, is about 900 kilometres away. And poetry became my way of holding on to hope but also processing some of the experiences that I had. And some of the experiences were also extraordinarily positive. So Christmas Island is 60% national park um, and it's stunning tropical rainforest. So I had these really... um, uh, to experiences I couldn't recon- reconcile, so this incredible beauty and this incredible privilege. I had a really well-paid job and I lived this um, tropical lifestyle, yet every day I went to work and witnessed people experiencing incredible suffering, you know, kids as little as four years old, experiencing depression. So I guess poetry became my way of holding on to my own reality and and working through some of the things I witnessed.
0: Right at the start, you thank uh, first and foremost the men, women, and children who shared their lives with you. In what sense were you kind of translating their experience, and 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 when were you bringing out your own voice of what you were feeling?
2: Um, again, I think that's a that's a really great question because one thing I held very clearly for myself that I was that I did not want to speak on behalf of the asylum seekers on the island. I really. Uh, tried as much as possible to let them speak in their own voice. So we I organised an exhibition of poetry by asylum seekers so that people could hear them speaking about their experiences on their on, on their own terms. But I think the detention system diminishes us all. So what I wanted to do was to share my experiences of witnessing detention and my experiences of meeting asylum seekers and... I guess what, I met such extraordinary human beings from you know little four-year-olds right through to 24-year-olds and um, I guess I just wanted to almost introduce the people that I met um, to the reader as well as the impact of, of witnessing that suffering. So I'm very much trying to make it clear that it's my lens Seeing the islands through my lens and not speak on behalf of the asylum seekers that were there.
0: Tell us a little bit about what happened when you got back to Australia, and and maybe you can uh, share some of the poetry uh, because that section re- really feels you know you, re- you really feel the contrast with what you experienced while you were on those islands.
2: Yes, um, I guess when I came back, I didn't feel that I could go back to my normal life. Um, I came back to the mainland. And saw that people were completely distanced from what was happening on the islands, which I guess is the point of offshore detention, is that it's that out of sight, out of mind um, kind of uh, strategy. So, what is happening is the Australian public is disengaging with the detention of asylum seekers and the reality for most of the people's lives there. So, I had promised myself that I would not forget what I had seen and that I would use my work to try and reconnect, to try and get Australians to emotionally engage with what was happening in our name. And the Australian government has been very clever in its use of language, so it keeps demonising and criminalising asylum seekers. So by constantly using the term illegal, Um, illegal immigrants, and they are not illegal, it's their right under the Refugee Convention to flee to a place of safety. But by repeating this over and over, asylum seekers become associated with illegality and criminality. So what I realised was I had to use language in a different way to try and bypass some of these prejudices that were being built up by politicians and the media. Um, And I think poetry and metaphor are amazing ways to access the heart of the matter. And it, it has been incredibly powerful for me to witness the way in which the poems can bypass some of those filters. So maybe I'll just read uh, There's this one poem really. When I was working with these gorgeous 16 and 17-year-old young men, mainly from Afghanistan and Iran, and they were sharing the most uh, Devastating experiences of witnessing massacres of families and children and things with me while I was on the island, yet I was hearing the way in which um, they were talking about the the students that I taught as potential terrorists and this really incensed me. So it led to this poem called The Politics of Entry, which I'll read for you now. Coming in the back door like you could wait politely at the front one coming in the back door, like survival was a party, you're just not invited. Yet in all this facelessness, there is the coming from, coming from a landscape in shadow where rape is tactical, procedural, political. Hold the daughter still. Plant your flag in that dark place. Force the life out of her eyes until she is pregnant with the violence of it. Let despair grow round and firm and hungry. We say the welcome mat, red carpet, floodgates open when all you see is light from darkness. A door Ajar
0: Beautiful and and haunting Uh, Renee, I want to thank you so much for sharing that with us Uh, That is the award-winning poet Renee Pettit-Ship The poem comes from her new collection The Sky Runs Right Through Us Poems from the Edge of the Indian Ocean It's published by UWA Publishing in February 2018 Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time